This podcast contains spoilers, explicit language, and is not made for anyone under the age of 13. Listener discretion is advised. Alright, real quick before this episode starts, I just want to quickly mention that this, uh movie is like or this episode's coming out around the same time the of this movie's anniversary i kind of realized that right after i got done recording so yeah happy anniversary gamma versus zegra (laughs) so yeah it's just uh real quick i forgot to mention it while recording the episode so yeah sorry about this weird intro anyway on to the actual episode Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome back to John vs. Film, and today we are taking a look at 1971's Kamara Tai Shinkai. <clears throat> Hang on one more time. Let me try it one more time. Kamara Tai Shinkai Kaiju Jiga, or also known as Gamera vs. Zegra. Now, sorry if I sound a little bit more quiet than normal. Um, I have fam- I have someone else in the house uh, doing some training uh, for work. You know, they have to work from home right now. So I have to try to quiet down a little bit. Or at least not try to be yelling. So, yeah. I It's probably going to come out just like a little bit like I'm mumbling. Maybe if I, I'm going to increase, increase the recording volumes to see if that helps, but yeah. Uh, anyways, we are looking at Gamera vs. Zegra. The movie is directed by Noriaki Yuasa and written by Nissan Takahashi. And let me tell you... This this was uh, this was a film, <laughs> not not a very good way. But um, before we begin, I want to give some background as to the situation of what was going on with this movie, and that is uh, Dae, the producers of Gamera. They were they were not doing so good. In fact. At the end of 1971, they actually had to file for bankruptcy. Um, so there was actually a lot of production problems, especially with finances. You know, finances. The budget kept getting cut, and basically, according to August Ragoni's intro, which again, if you have the Arrow sets or are interested in the Gamera movies, I recommend getting Gamera's Arrow set and watch the August Ragoni intros. They are really, really fascinating. But uh, essentially they were working with a skeleton crew. And also when Dai went bankrupt, there was actually a lot of riots, you know, and protests that happened, you know, with the studio whatnot because of what was going on with their financial problems and the stress that was causing. I think there was a fire that caused uh, pretty much all the props from these early Gamera movies to be destroyed, which is, uh, which is a real shame. So, 
yeah, so the suit you see in this movie, you know, the destroyed. Uh, but yeah, and also, just to let you know, Dai was actually having financial stroke goals in the last movie, but it was also kind of surprising they kept the budget pretty high for that movie. You know, especially given the track record with Virus and Giron. But, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, th this one, this movie shows its uh, production, pro you know, troubles very clearly um and i do want to show that say that i am very sympathetic you know towards the crew that had to work in such very stressful conditions uh there's more details about the august ragoni intro but yeah needless to say Dai was not doing well this uh, this movie it was a miracle that this movie got made at all essentially and was released in fact, uh, I didn't think it even had the Dae logo in front of it. And it was not, the movie was not picked up by America, yeah, was it, shoot, American Internationals or whatever, AIP. Uh, I'm double checking real quick, sorry. Yeah, be distributor. Uh, movie. There's a lot of companies named. Uh, yeah, so there we go. American International. Yeah, they did not pick this movie up. So it wasn't until the late 80s, early 90s when it got picked up for, uh, for VHS. So that's that's very interesting. You know, I didn't know that. But yeah, anyway, here on Justin vs. Film, what I do is I, you know, read you a little synopsis I wrote for the movie. Then I talk about five things I like about the movie. Then five things I dislike or have criticisms with the movie. And then my overall thoughts. So without further ado, here's the synopsis of Camera, yeah, Camera vs. Zegra. I was going to read the Japanese title again, but anyway. Welcome to SeaWorld, where you can see orcas, seals, and a rare giant alien shark named Zegra, who is hungry for humans. And don't miss out on the 3 o'clock showing of Gamera fighting Zegra, a battle on land and sea. And lastly, parents, make sure you're with your children at all times so they don't find themselves trying to escape an alien woman trying to kill them. Anyway, enjoy! So yeah, <laughs> a little wacky. This this movie certainly certainly very wacky. And anyway, we're gonna talk about five things I like about this movie. And unfortunately, it's probably gonna be quick with the likes because there there's not that many redeeming qualities of this movie. Sadly, uh, first all, first uh point i want to make is that maybe i wasn't paying attention with the movie last night well enough but from what i remember watching it you know last night and i, I just kind of thought about it i didn't i don't remember seeing any stock footage from the previous camera movies if there was it was very little of it 
which is very surprising, especially given how the last, what, now pretty much all the camera movies used stock footage beforehand. So for this one, the one with like the worst budget in this first one of movies, you know, before Die went bankrupt, is the one to also use not use stock footage, except for the first one. Because I think, well, I don't remember if Barugan had stock footage. Um, I don't remember if that, you know, it did or not. So maybe Barugan didn't have stock footage. Uh, Gauss did have stock footage, but that was at kind of the end credits. So I didn't really count that. It was Beerus that really started the stock footage trend, in my opinion. But yeah, it's just kind of like, huh, that's that's pretty good on this movie, funny enough. Even though, yeah, quality, not so great. It, uh, it's, you know, just that little amount of stock footage. It, they could have probably gotten away with using stock footage, or they probably should. I'm not an advocate of stock footage, but yeah, it's, uh, it's still kind of, you know, good on them for still... For not using stock footage this time. Uh, the next point is that I actually really like Zegra himself, mostly aesthetic-wise, not so much for his um, his plot to take over the Earth. I, you know, like he wants to take over the Earth. You know, he lives in the oceans. He's a shark kaiju, and he wants to use humans as cattle but yeah anyway <laughs> the thing is um you know even though the plot is not like his motives is pretty basic you know aesthetic wise Zegra looks really cool mostly underwater the land suit and kind of iffy, very iffy. It's the only use for a little bit, but his underwater suit, it he just looks like such a cool monster. You know, oh, I spelled Zegra wrong when trying to look up the, you know, image. But yeah, he has like, uh, you know, these red eyes, really you know sharp head you know very pointy head this sort of has a beak it's kind of like a cross between a shark and a bird it's really cool uh and another thing about zegra i liked is his spaceship both on the outside and inside um what i like uh i'll start with the outside i just think it was kind of you know, it's not the most, you know, like, unique spaceship at all. But it has, you know, a little bit of Zegra's aesthetic, you know, shark-like aesthetic with also these, like, Orbeez little, you know, like, colored balls, you know, on each side. It's really cool. Uh, you know, I just think it was kind of like a 
really cool design that linked up well with the actual monster's design. And then inside the ship, we actually see like Zegra's head on the ceiling covered up in cobwebs or webs or whatever. And it looks kind of foreboding and haunting. You know, uh, the rest of the inside of the ship, it was pretty basic, but I'm, but the thing that made it stand out was Zegra's head on top, just kind of looming over everybody. It looked really cool. So, yeah, anyway, that was the second point. Uh, the third point, uh, this feels kind of a freebie. I'm not going to go into too much detail about it, but I like the music, and that's because the music was done by common writer composer. Let me look him up real quick. Should have had this up. I'm a horrible podcaster. Yeah. Shinsuke Kikuchi. So he did the music for this movie like he did for the previous movies since Giron. And if you want to hear more about, you know, my appreciation of his music or who he is, listen to my Gamer vs. Giron uh, episode. Uh, I just think, you know, he elevates, like his music elevates this movie, you know, more than it should. (laughs) Uh, like I really like like the battles, the fa- uh, like the music that's playing when Gamera and Zegra are fighting on the land. Uh, third is I really like the underwater fights. Uh, they were pretty fast and snappy, and we got this really cool sequence of Zegra cutting Gamera. You know, with straight lines, and we see the blood, you know, Gamera's blood, but it's like the cool thing about Gamera's blood, or what they did with the, you know, in this movie, special effects wise, is how the blood acts like it would, like if he were bleeding underwater, like it's all cloudy and like it's not just like dripping down Gamera's body, you know, no, it's like it's this foamy green, cloudy, you know, blood. It It's like, how you know a lot of blood you know blood or liquid you know that's you know how it would act underwater it's a really cool effect you know so that was the fourth point yeah so like i said i'm really getting through the legs pretty fast this episode which is not a good sign uh so my last point is that i really like how camera is pretty much a troll in this movie (laughs) or at least in the third act he's a troll because what he does is so camera has to save the a submarine yep we have another submarine in a camera movie seems like a trope now take a shot every time you see a submarine in a camera movie (laughs) but no camera has to save the submarine with our main characters and Zegra is guarding it, but Zegra is sleeping. So, what Gamera does is to make sh- you know, kind of check Zegra's awareness. Gamera throws a freaking rock at Zegra. You know, it just like throws a rock at Zegra's head. It briefly wakes up Zegra, but he's like, he's a heavy sleeper, so Zegra kind of just keeps fading in and out. Uh, or he's like kind of dazed. And then Gamera's like kind of like checking, like, okay. Okay, I'm just gonna 
sneakily grab the sub and skedaddle out of here. <laughs> yep, he like slowly walks out before using his jets. I also, by the way, I love how kind of Gamera is able to use his fire underwater. It's it's uh, pretty cool. I don't care about the science logic, and neither does this movie. So, but another instance of Gamera being a troll to Zegra is when Gamera finally defeats Zegra at the end of the movie by preventing Zegra from using his hypnotic ray that puts you know life forms in sort of like a stasis. Uh, like what happened. What camera does he starts a giant rock on him but sticks uh, on Zegra's pointy head and it blocks his ray so Zegra can't use his ultimate trump card to get out of the land I mean he's a fish out of water literally <laughs> so and he needs to get back in water but without that ray he's kind of useless in doing so because camera won't let him get away so Zegra kind of just flops onto the floor, and what Gamera does, he grabs a rock and he starts playing. And, you know, Zegra's like fins on the back of him, like an instrument, like a little xylophone, and then it cuts to Gamera's music. It, it's such a dick troll move, but I love it. And no, this is not me being a hypocritical, you know, hypocrite, I should say. Excuse me for one second, I gotta drink water. <sighs> anyway, because you mentioned because I mentioned in the last movie how I thought the telephone bowls was a bit too serious or too silly for the final battle. But the difference is that the you know, the final battle on Jagger was kinda of set up to be a more dramatic, serious moment. Well, this movie is not taking itself that seriously. It, it's it really isn't. So it's fine. You know, it's one of those like you have to kind of gauge of what the movie's going for. You know, last movie it was I think it was trying to go for something a bit more serious. You know, something a bit more dramatic. Where this one, I don't think that is the case. My, I think they were just having fun as much fun as they could during this production so yeah those were the five things i like about this movie pretty short right well yeah i talk about the five things i dislike about this movie <laughs> or my criticisms with this movie oh boy uh not great not great so first point we have is that the intro and opening credits of this movie are probably the weakest this movie scene okay well i will give credit this this movie does have an intro well jagger didn't have an intro but uh the intro is sort of kind of quick in this movie it's just kind of like oh uh, Zegra attacks the moon. You know, I'm going, it does. It is important to the plot of the movie, but it's not a very good plot. But yeah, it's Zegra's ship attacking a moon base, 
and then going to Earth, and then it cuts to the opening credits. And the opening credits plays Gamera's song. So then what's the problem with this? Well, the visuals of the opening credits is just a very weak kind of helicopter over, you know, bird's eye view of SeaWorld. It's one long shot of just the camera kind of circling around SeaWorld Amusement Park. And it's like, really? That that's it? Wow, that's kind of lame. Uh, so yeah, you know, very weak. And also, I just kind of throw it in here: Sea World being in this movie. This is part of the same point, since it got mentioned in the opening credits. Is that Sea uh, World is not a great organization? You know, because of how they treat their you know, wildlife, you know, or how they treat the, you know, like, there, there's horror stories, you can look up the, you know, stories of how there's, like, kind of mistreatment of their animals, and, which is fun, and here's the thing, it's sort of, it, no, not sort of, it is, like ironic or it goes against what the movie's going for because the thing is this movie is criticizing how um it like uh it criticizes you know humanity how it's treating you know like how it's polluting the earth and whatnot you know and how it's treating life essentially <laughs> So, and then you got this organization that is known for mistreating, you know, the environment, you know, a, you know, the animals that they are, you know, being held captive, you know, and the animals that they have held captive, they are very much depressed, you know, it, again, it's horror stories, this, this podcast is about movie, not me bashing Sea World, but I don't know. It just it feels like it goes against the movie's message a little bit, featuring SeaWorld. Um, but anyway, I really want to mention real quick, this isn't part of the dislike, but if I had a nickel for every giant monster movie in 1971 that addressed the, you know, that addressed the, you know, pollution environment, you know, and had an environmental message about how we shouldn't pollute... I would have two nickels. That isn't a lot of nickels, but it's weird that it has happened twice. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I <laughs> I know it's a it's a meme. I had to make the meme, but yeah, it's just funny that both Gamera versus Zegra and Godzilla versus Adora both tackled the same issue at the same year. Pretty hilarious. Uh anyway. On to the next point. <laughs> okay, I'm laughing because it's sort of ironic because of how, like, I'm no expert if you listen to my podcast at all, and especially this episode, which I cranked the volume, you know, recording volume up to max because I'm talking a bit, I'm trying to talk a bit more quietly. Um,. <laughs> Uh, the complaint is that there's a 
quality dip in the audio. You know, specifically, you know, like the recorded dialogue, it feels very muffled and it it's very noticeable. Like, especially if you're watching these movies, you know, kind of back to back, you know, it's a dipping quality even for previous camera movies. And another thing about the audio is I think because of the how they're recording the dialogue, the well, it uh, it causes some poor mixing between the dialogue and music. Like the music kind of overshadows the dialogue. So yeah, that's that's kind of a big issue for the movie is that it does not have a great audio quality. And I'm not blaming Arrow for this, mind you. I think this was a result of the production problems that this crew was going with, you know, that had to deal with, you know, so that's like, there wasn't a good audio source to begin with. So again, I don't think this is, you know, Arrow's fault, especially considering what else came before, like what other movies, you know, Arrow did for this set. And those movies didn't have audio problems. This is kind of the outlier. Um, unfortunately, this next point I don't really want to talk about because I kind of feel bad about you know talking about. But I feel like this is so far the weakest you know writing and direction we've gotten. And I'm I don't think I, I'm not gonna bash. Noriaki, Yuasa, Nissan, Takahashi for this, you know, because I know the movie had to be rewritten throughout production and production, according to the August Ragoni intro, was constantly on and off. You know, there was things had to be rewritten. So it's, I can like very much sympathize with the stress that, especially, you know, both of them are going, especially Noriaki, Yuasa. You know, I just think he was in a really bad situation with this movie. It's a lot of the group were. It was not good. You know, so I, which, you know, because of the stress of what was going on with Dae, I think that really, you know, hurt their ability to really make a good movie, a quality movie at all. So, you know, I, I, even though, yeah, I think it's the weakest. It's one that I'm like, I'm not really blaming the director and writer for. I think it's just there was a lot of circumstances that caused this to happen. You know, it's unfortunate. But I also still need to mention that it's not very good in this movie. You know, there's the pacing's a bit off. I find the found the kind of a lot of the dialogue to be very hand-fisted. It's one of those the environmental message is kind of shoved down your throat sort of movies. That's kind of the whole villain's like, oh, well, humans aren't taking care of their planet. I'll take care of it better and eat the humans. And yeah, it's just, I don't think it's great. And um... 
I think also it caused, again, with the stress going on with Daye, the, it caused, you know, a lot of them to not pay, you know, the creators and crew to not pay attention to some details or just kind of brush things off more easily because they're kind of like, we just need to get this movie done. You know, and again, I'm very much more sympathetic to them in this movie because I understand the circumstances. You know, I, but it, it's just kind of like such a shame because I thought for what these movies are, they've been doing good, but this one, not the case. Uh, Z, uh, because I didn't really buy into Zegra's plot. I felt the you know balance between Zegra and Gamera was very much poor. In fact, Gamera was missing for a good chunk of this movie, and not for like oh he's inhabilitated. It's like he's just kind of gone for a bit of the movie. Um, some of how you know the actors you know feel pretty stilted. You know, and I don't think this is, you know, for some of the actors, I don't think that's their, you know, their fault because we've seen these actors in previous Gamera movies, some of them, you know, and they, and they do a good job there. It's just for this one, I felt, again, with the stress and all that, it would, it hurt their ability, you know, to really get this movie to be the best that it is. You know, could be. You know, I, I and a part of me also feels like there was a potential for this movie to be pretty good. Maybe not better than Jagger, but you know, still good. But no, unfortunately, it's lacking a lot. Uh, next point is that the kids, you know, or the human cast, especially. You know, most of the human cast, I didn't really care for. Uh, first of all, let's talk about the two main kids. Um, da, 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 da. I'm trying to find them on IMDb, but they're... Okay. Okay, I think I found uh, their names. So yeah, if I remember correctly. So the two kids are... Whoop, lost them. Are Helen Wallace, uh, who is played by Gloria Zollner. And... Kate, uh, Ken, Kenichi Ishikawa, who's played by Yasushi Sakagami, and I am not going to be harsh with the kids on their actings. I'm just going to mention that I feel the problem with the kids in general is that they went for, like, these kids feel way too young. You know, they're to be kind of leading a movie. You know, and also with the stress that was going on production and how I don't think uh, Yuasa-san 
was able to really fully direct or you know get the best out of his actors or communicate well but not you know it really hurt their ability to act so they are acting wise they are probably the worst out of all the child leads in the camera movies and it's it's pretty bad especially with um Gloria and again it's not that you know I, I again it's more so I'm not blaming the kids but more so the poor casting choice to really choose like kindergartens you know like they're, they're like five six years old they you know and they're pretty much the leads of this movie that's not good you know you could tell they're not great actors and it's uh i it's more just i think they had they were way too young to be starring a movie like this or just to be kind of like the headline stars like if they were background characters i wouldn't mind if they were you know their acting was you know not great but when they are the main stars, that's a huge issue. You know, because, you know, we can't, you know, as the audience, you know, we have to kind of, I, I, I don't know what I'm trying to go for, but I guess what I'm saying, you know, with the previous child stars, there's usually some character, there's some, you know, even though not all the child actors were great, they were at least serviceable. I can't say the same with the two leads here. And again, I do think it is an age thing. I just think they were going, they were just way too young. Way too young for the roles. And even though they're supposed to be kindergartens, I think for writing, they should have aged them up to more like the kids we got in previous camera movies. Um,. And then I'll talk about the fathers. So, yeah, Helen Wallace, her father is Dr. Tom Wallace, who's played by Koji Fujiyama, who we can actually recognize in previous camera movies, most notably Onodera from Camera vs. Burugan. And I really liked Onodera. I don't have any strong opinion opinions of dr tom wallace he was a character yeah they didn't really flesh him out in fact there's a good chunk of the movie where he's kind of he and the other father are um just like you know they're hypnotized and they're unconscious or whatever you know, so they didn't really get a chance to act. And I should say the other father was Dr. Yosuke Ishikawa, who is played by Isamu <coughs> Sorry, Isamu Saiki. Uh, and again, I don't necessarily have any strong opinions because we don't get to see a lot of him. If that makes... Yeah, you know, he's in the same situation as 
Uh, great. IMDb is not cooperating. <laughs> yeah, anyway. He's in the same situation as Tom Wallace. You know, it's like, I can't really get a gauge with them as characters. As they're just kind of there doing stuff. Uh, finally, the one, you know, the last, you know, cast member I want to talk about is the character of Woman X, or later on we'll get to know as Chikako Suga. Sugarara, I'm sorry, yep. Sugarara. 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 I'm, you know, I'm sorry if I'm butchering these names. It's, um, I'm still learning how pronunciations and just the language of Japanese evolve, but anyway, Woman X is played by. Reiko Kasahara, who we actually will recognize from previous Gamera movies as, you know, Sumiko Kanamura in Gamera vs. Gauss, and uh, it was Bar, yeah, Barbella from Gamera vs. Giron. So she's returning, and unfortunately, her character I didn't like, or essentially. What happens is that in the movie, Zegra kidnaps, you know, this woman who's a geologist on the moon, you know, you know, the moon base that got destroyed by Zegra, Zegra kidnaps her to kind of be like the translator or whatnot, to kind of like act as, you know, Zegra's like mind controlled slave. To communicate with the humans initially until Zegra himself communicates with the humans just fine. But, well, anyway, when she's under control, under the control of Zegra, you know, uh, she has, like, she has the ability, you know, she's given, like, the ability to snap her fingers and hypnotize other humans. So, you know, it's a kind of like what she inherited from being under Zegra's control like this. You know, and put other humans to, like, that state that causes, you know, Tom and, Yos- you know, Dr. Yosuke to be unconscious. You know, it's like sort of an unconscious state. Well, anyway, she's able to do this with a lot of humans, you know, with a lot of adults. But when it comes to Helen and Kenichi, she has some major, like, major issues. Like, we get a whole Scooby-Doo, you know, chase scene at SeaWorld of her chasing the kids and having so much trouble, you know, trying to kill the kids. And it's like... I feel as though she's having way too much trouble with these kids than she really should have. Like, here's the thing: it's not like the kids from Gamera vs. Virus who we were shown to, 
know, that they were mischievous and they, you know, and the one was a tech, you know, a tech whiz, you know, and that they were Boy Scouts and they were capable of defending themselves to an extent or thinking, you know, of getting themselves out of the strategy, you know, of, of a tight pickle. Or the kids in the previous movie where they've shown the initiative to risk their lives to go save Gamera. But, you know, these kids are pretty, they're very young. They are not, not that smart. They're, you know, like, and they're not, like, knowledgeable. I would say that, but even then, it's just kind of like, they're normal, average kids. Yet she has so much trouble with these kids. It's a ridiculous amount of trouble. It was kind of like, you're, I was really kind of frustrated. <laughs> like, of just, how are you able to take out a group of men, you know, a group of reporters, I'm sorry, with the snap of your fingers very easily? Yet these kids, you're, you just, SOL, you're, you're shit out of luck with, you know, you can't do jack shit. You had one job, kill the kids, and you are failing at this job. Uh, and just a real quick tangent back to the writing. You know, an example of kind of the writing is that they reuse kind of the element of the alien, you know, the alien held, you know, holding the children, or in this case, the kids and the two fathers captive. You know, to it's like either surrender or I kill these, you know, kids. Well, in Gamma versus Virus, the Virus aliens didn't tell the humans that they planned to destroy them, anyways. But here, after the alien, you know, the quote-unquote alien woman is snapped, you know, from Zegra's control, she tells them what Zegra's plans are. And, but they still is like, nope, we're going to surrender anyways. It's like, well, I'm sorry, you're kind of dumb. Because even though, yeah, your weapons have proved useless against Zegra, you're still surrendering even though he plans on killing everybody anyways. And he's probably going to kill those four anyways. So, yeah, it's just some of the bumbling writing right there is another example of just like, that's not, that's not great reason to surrender. Especially when you know that see what Zegra is going to do anyways. So, um, but anyway, back to the kids. Another thing that kind of irritated me about these kids is that they got themselves into trouble needlessly. It's not like, again, the kids from Gamma vs. Beerus who were mischievous, you know, tech, you know, mischievous Boy Scouts. These are just, you know, it's like, oh, we want to go, you know, hang out with our dads. And sneak onto the sub, you know, on the boat at the beginning. And then later on, we're going to sneak onto the submarine in this dangerous, you know, like, expedition to try to revive Gamera. And then later gets kidnapped by Zegra. It's one of those, like, I didn't care for the kids. 
uh, finally, the on-land fights were not great. While I thought the underwater fights were pretty cool, the on-land ones, not great, because one, Zegra's suit was very limited. It couldn't do much. The there was there was very little time on those, you know, on the land sets. While there were some miniatures, they were not there was no kind of like destruction or anything. Uh, I thought the land fights were the weakest we've seen in the series so far. Um and also the fact that they they were as you know, pretty much told by SeaWorld that hey don't destroy SeaWorld in your movie. Which, I'm, I'm going to mention something. It's funny, I have heard, you know, stories of how companies are like, you know, with Godzilla movies, they're like, oh, Godzilla, yeah, let, let Godzilla destroy my building. I mean, outside of the first movie where, you know, that was a different case, but like, I think later on, you know, they were like more adamant, like, oh, yeah, Godzilla, let him destroy our building. <laughs> but here, you know, with Jiger and now Zegra, they're like, no, don't you dare have them destroy our, you know, set. So it's like, well, I feel like the miniature set is sort of wasted then, you know. So yeah, the land fights were very disappointing, and also Gamera's suit, the head, uh, some of up. It was still kind of like just. Like, it wasn't able to look straight forward. It was always looking up like he would would be if Gamera was, like, on all fours or was flying on his jet. It's just not not great. So, anyway, those were the five things I disliked about this movie. And it's time for me to wrap it up with my overall thoughts. So, here we go. This is an unfortunate conclusion to the initial run of Gamera movies. From watching this movie, it's obvious that this movie suffered from a nightmarish production. While I do have nostalgia for this movie, as it was one of the earliest Gamera movies I watched as a kid. Oh, yeah, so, like I mentioned before in my Gamera vs. Gauss episode, uh, I rented like two Gamera VHS tapes all the time, and this was the other one. Gamma vs. Zegra, so I would watch Gamma vs. Gauss and Gamma vs. Zegra all the time. But I did own one Gamma movie, and I haven't talked about that Gamma movie yet. But we're about to soon. Anyway, back to my overall thoughts. You know, while the, you know, it's one of the earliest Gamma movies I've watched as a kid, I couldn't help but feel bored with this movie. Yeah, like, unfortunately, I just, I, I was kind of bored while watching it, sadly. A part of me wonders what this movie would have been like if Dai were in a better financial shape, you know, because I, I am very curious, you know. I do think a lot of the problems with this movie was just how Dai handled the production of this movie and the stress that it put its crew under. And also... Dai being in the process of going bankrupt. But yeah, this this was not a great movie. Not even like compared to the previous camera movies. It's it's uh, 
the weakest so far. But sadly, not the weakest one of all time because that will be next week. As you can probably tell from the tone of my voice, I am very much not looking not looking forward to watching the next week's camera movie. Uh uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's Super Monster Gamera or Gamera Super Monster. I don't care. It's a bad movie. I I, I don't want to, but I, I got to do it because I'm talking about every Gamera movie. So yeah, that's next week. Anyway, um, if you are listening to this on YouTube, make sure to subscribe, press the like button, press the bell icon, dislike it if you dislike my voice or yeah just if you dislike this you know my voice or and tell me in the comments what i'm doing right or what am i doing wrong and then i'm uh as the time of this recording i'm available on google podcast apple podcast podbean.com spotify and podcast attic And thank you all for listening. I hope you have a fantastic day. Take care.